Fast, safe, and reliable, Interac eTransfer is one of the best ways to send, request, and receive money. In fact, Canadians use the service to complete 371 million transactions in 2018 alone. That's nearly 11 times the population of Canada. Learn more at newsroom.interact.ca. Hey, it's Sarah here, and this is 2020 Live. Not long ago, Canada 2020 hosted Senator Yen Pao Wu, a facilitator of the Independent Senators Group, for his take on Senate independence, what it means for parliamentary democracy, and how the Chamber of Sober Second Thought is working to rebuild trust with Canadians. Here's that conversation now. Instead, I want to talk about uh, some bigger developments in the Senate that were in many senses precipitated by the arrival of my cohort in uh, November of 2016. I am the, you could say, the first cohort that came through the full new process that was set up with the independent uh, advisory group for um, applications to the Senate, uh, the so-called merit-based process. There was an earlier group of six senators who were appointed six months before uh, we came. Uh, they went through a nomination process. So in many ways, I was there from the very beginning of this new experiment. And there's a little timeline on the screen for you to uh, reflect on uh, what I think are some highlights of this new uh, independent Senate process that we've embarked on. And while the idea of Senate reform goes back a long time, I think in terms of what we're seeing now, the most significant uh, milestone is something we have to thank uh, former Prime Minister Stephen Harper for, which is the reference to the Supreme Court on a number of key questions uh, to, in fact, reform the Senate, you know, election of um, senators, changing the uh, composition, uh, term limits, and so on. And it was, in fact, the... Uh, the reference uh, decision coming out of the Supreme Court, which underlined and underscored, number one, the great difficulty in bringing about some of the most profound and hotly debated changes in the Senate that some people wanted to see, you know, abolition, changing the composition, election of senators, and so on. But more importantly, it also underscored the fundamental place that the Senate has in Canada's democracy as a uh, complementary chamber of, to use the cliche, sober second thought, working with the House of Commons, but not in competition with the House of Commons, and working in a way that is more independent of the political process than the House of Commons would. This is all in the Supreme Court reference, and that provided, I think, the kind of impetus uh, you might say even necessity for the current government to put in place a set of reforms that the government itself could undertake and which the Senate itself could uh, pursue without uh, opening up constitutional uh, talks. Uh, that, of course, uh, became part of the election platform, as we all know, and uh, opened uh, the door to the famous expulsion of the Liberal senators from their caucus 
uh, still a sore point among my uh, liberal, so-called independent liberal Senate colleagues. Uh, in turn, that opened the door to the creation of the new appointment process uh, and the creation of the independent senators group in June 2016. In fact, in June 2016, there were only six senators appointed through uh, the new process, if you will, but there was already a group of senators in the upper house that had styled themselves as non-affiliated. They were basically former conservatives and liberals who, for one reason or another, had left their caucuses, either because they didn't want to be subject to the discipline of a whip or because they were kicked out, different circumstances. Uh, and they formed this group um, really just before the arrival of the first six. And when the first six arrived, uh, the independent senators group, as it was, became a, a vehicle for them to, uh, to join and to, um, to take part in. Uh, those early days were marked by a lot of discussion around how the independent senators would organize themselves and get uh, status and standing in the upper chamber. And it took some time. You see in the timeline uh, for uh, ISG members to get places on committees and to get recognition as senators of equal standing. By the middle of 2017, we were able to uh, negotiate changes to some of the rules which allowed for partial equality with the caucuses and other groups. The most important change being the, uh, the very recognition of the independent senators groups as a legitimate parliamentary group. Previously, it was uh, just treated as sort of an ad hoc coalition of senators. Of course, the period through the uh, year of 2017 saw many more appointments. There were many vacancies, as you will recall, uh, at the start of uh, the current parliament. But as they were filled, um, the independent senators group continued to grow. Uh, one of our first priorities when I took over, together with uh, Senator Saint-Germain as the two facilitators, I took over in um, uh, 2017, uh, one of our first priorities to was to establish a set of ground rules, if you will. Uh, we wanted to make sure that the ISG was not simply a group where senators came because they had nowhere else to go. That certainly was true when it was first set up. We also wanted to make sure that we were, uh, we were bound not just by our um, defiance of groups, or our insistence on autonomy, but we were bound by a certain set of values that we all agreed on and a certain set of purpose. And so by October 2018, we had uh, adopted, we had negotiated over a long period and finally adopted our charter. I'm happy to take any questions uh, on this development. And uh, subsequently, with uh, further retirements and uh, appointments of uh, senators to the upper house, in October 2018, we achieved a majority in the Senate. We are now at 58 members out of a chamber of 105. Uh, it's, it's difficult to, um, 
summarize in a pithy statement all of the uh, developments and improvements, if you will, that have come about because of the independent senators group. And I want to underscore that we uh, don't think of ourselves as um, superior or uh, somehow uh, standing apart from senators from different pedigrees. There are many, many fine senators appointed through previous administrations. But it's clear that we came under a different set of circumstances. And it's clear that we have a different vision of the Senate, one that is uh, less partisan, and one which we do not apologize for. And I think, in fact, with the uh, advent of independent senators, and particularly now that we have a majority, I think it's fair to say that we have been able to, at the very least, address the reality of lingering partisanship in the upper house and to, uh, to resist it wherever possible. And I'll be happy to talk a little bit more about how we have been doing so. We've been very focused on um, some of the um, administrative, if you will, and operational issues in the Senate that have been plaguing the upper house for a number of years. I did not put in my timeline the expenses scandal, but of course that's also the context for some of the reforms that we see. And of course, the expenses scandal pointed to a number of operational challenges in the Senate around the transparency, accountability, and efficiency. Uh, we were able to uh, take over the chair of the key committee in the Senate that is responsible for essentially the management of uh, the budget and operations and administration. And my colleague, Senator Sabi Mawa, who uh, used to run a small bank in Toronto and across the country, um, is uh, doing this job very ably. Uh, again, happy to speak more about how we go about doing, uh, promoting efficiency, transparency, and accountability. But let me just say quickly that uh, we are advocating for practices such as uh, zero-based budgeting, uh, we're not content to accept that budgets should be the budgets they are simply because they were the budgets they were last year. I cannot find rhyme or reason as to some of the numbers that I see. We're focused on making sure that oversight functions of the Senate, for example, the creation of an oversight and audit committee, does have some external uh, representation so that it's not just senators uh, supervising themselves. And I'm very proud to say that the independent senators group uh, costs less on a per capita basis for Canadian taxpayers than do our partisan colleagues. Uh, when we achieved recognition as a parliamentary group, we were able to enter into negotiations uh, on the determination of a budget for our group and the other groups. The other groups uh, basically had legacy budgets that they brought to the negotiations. Again, I could not really see particular rhyme or reason to these numbers. In fact, uh, the numbers for the caucuses, particularly the opposition caucus, were shrinking. They were getting smaller, and yet the budgets remained significantly larger than our own budget. This is too much inside baseball for you, but let me just say that uh, we took a very principled approach to determining 
uh, our own share of the Senate budget. And as a result, independent senators cost roughly $18,000 less per senator than uh, partisan senators. One of the benefits of, uh, side benefits, I should say, of uh, the advent of independent senators, and this is really a function of um, the Prime Minister's uh, determination to increase diversity across the board in leadership positions in government is the increased diversity in the Senate uh, as a whole. Uh, our group uh, has a majority of women. Uh, we have, uh, I think it's 12, 10 or 12, 11 or 12 uh, indigenous uh, senators. Of course, we have the geographic uh, and professional diversity. And in fact, uh, the Senate as a whole today, including, of course, the partisan senators, is at, I think it's 47 or 48 uh, percent women. Of course, the, the, uh, the ultimate test, if you will, of a functioning Senate is um, its ability to review legislation and to um, propose and uh, follow through on potential amendments to government bills that uh, the Senate as a whole feels is in the interests of the country. We know from uh, the history of the Senate that this has been a rather rare occurrence uh, because of the partisan nature of uh, its composition. But you can see from the numbers on the screen already that there has been a marked change in the willingness and the ability of the Senate to, in fact, put forward amendments, not all of which have been accepted, but uh, even with uh, the... Uh, you might say, the natural inclination of a government to resist amendments, we can see that 40 bills in the current parliament have been amended because of uh, amendments proposed by the upper house and particularly by independent senators. And so the, the talking point that those who oppose an independent senate like to use is that while we may be independent in name, we are actually closet uh, liberals, if you will, who are unwilling to challenge the government's agenda. It's simply shown to be untrue when you look at the number of amendments that have been proposed and have, in fact, uh, gone through the uh, parliamentary process. The job's not done. Um, we still have a a uh, small but significant proportion of senators who build themselves as partisan. I don't say this in a pejorative way. They came as partisan senators and they cling to that identity in a very visceral way. And uh, that perhaps will never change as long as they're in the Senate. But this is a legitimate contest of ideas and of a vision for the Senate where we believe very strongly that the partisan approach is not the right one for an unelected upper chamber that's supposed to be complementary to the House of Commons. And so the lingering partnership uh, continues to, in my view, um, hold back the work of the Senate. It's held back principally by um, efforts to delay and to obstruct 
the review of legislation at all stages of uh, deliberation of a bill. Just uh, two weeks ago, in our very first week back from a rather long break, we had the spectacle of um, the opposition proposing to adjourn the Senate one hour into our sitting, maybe one and a half hours into our sitting. It was probably 3.30 or so. We were still on item number one on the order paper, and a senator stood up um, to propose the adjournment of the Senate because they refused to vote on a third reading, you know, the final vote on a, um, not even third reading, I should say, it was on a message from the House of Commons on a bill that we had already uh, debated vigorously. Uh, there was uh, a, a clear attempt to delay the vote and to do so by calling for the Senate to adjourn for the day. Uh, two days later, we had a series of um, uh, many, many votes and bells such that uh, nine hours after we sat, this was on a Thursday, at 11.45, we were still on item number one on the order paper. Again, a very deliberate uh, attempt to delay and obstruct. One of the unfinished items in the move towards a more independent Senate is to make sure that we, as independent senators, and the independent senators group in particular, gets full recognition of our status. And this is something, unfortunately, that the Senate itself cannot do. All of the changes I've alluded to previously have to do with rules and practices that are within the control of the Senate itself. And once you have a majority, it's possible to uh, push through, if you will, some of those changes. But what we cannot push through is the recognition of independent senators and indeed parliamentary groups other than the government and opposition in the Parliament of Canada Act. And this is key because it provides the uh, legitimacy for us to be on an equal footing with the government and opposition to make key decisions on the operating of the Senate, and I'm happy to take questions on that as well. Let me just conclude um, with some thoughts looking into the uh, further future, if you will. There are many near-term things that we need to accomplish. I've talked about them. We have an election coming up where uh, the Senate is likely to, unlikely to be the key decision point for Canadians, but I would like it to be a decision point for Canadians, and one of our hopes is that we can get the various uh, party leaders to articulate if they uh, support the move towards an independent Senate, or if in fact they want to go back to the old partisan appointment process, and indeed to a Senate which is uh, a mirror of the House of Commons, where it is structured along the traditional government opposition lines. Depending on how the election goes, uh, the reforms to the Senate, of course, could be unwound. The appointment process could be changed back to a partisan approach. Uh, there could be changes in the rules of the Senate. There could be changes in the Parliament of Canada. In fact, we are successful in inserting 
parliamentary groups other than the government opposition into the act, that also can be reversed. But I think this is a question that Canadians need to weigh in on. And one of the things we will be doing in the months ahead is to try and uh, get Canadians to speak up on how they see the Senate of the future. Beyond the election, though, there are some much bigger questions about how the Senate will organize itself if, in fact, we continue on this trajectory, a good trajectory, I believe, to the point where all of the senators are independent in some way. What would it mean to have a Senate of 105 independent senators? And if all of them are members of the independent senators group, then what is the independent senators group? We haven't, we haven't answered that question yet. These are very interesting hypotheticals. But I can tell you that uh, many of my colleagues are thinking very hard about these longer-term questions because we're here for the long term, of course. And I believe there are a number of very interesting models that we can adopt which can not only um, bring greater independence, reduce partisanship in the Senate, but also produce the kind of upper chamber that will be unique among Westminster parliaments and which will serve Canada's unique circumstances very well indeed. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. The place that I want to start actually is something I've picked up on in talking with you and, and talking with your team is actually the, the language that the independent senators use to describe themselves and what you do. You are not the leader of the independent senators group. You are, you are, you are a co-facilitator. You don't make rulings or like you, you do consensus building decision making. You do not use the word caucus. Um, those linguistic choices are really interesting to me and I think that they're deliberate. Can you tell me why those decisions have been made? Sure, happy to. Uh, my title is the facilitator of the independent senators group. Uh, Senator Saint-Germain is the deputy facilitator, but we work uh, very much as a, as a duo, making decisions uh, and leading uh, in a collaborative manner. Uh, well, I mean, it's um, the facilitator, facilitator nomenclature is uh, reflective of the fact that independent senators don't take orders from uh, those that they assign authority or responsibility to. And it is a way to signal that we do not want to behave like a caucus, where uh, either through a caucus leader or whip, uh, individual members are compelled in some way to vote uh, in a particular direction because the leader or the whip has the ability to, I'm told, uh, change your office or uh, withhold travel uh, and other perquisites of being a senator. That's, that's repugnant to uh, many of us and the nomenclature is simply to reflect uh, that difference in emphasis. But what I will say, though, is that the ISG has evolved over the two and a half years to develop a more mm, nuanced and I would say sophisticated understanding of my job as facilitator. I tried to call myself Supreme Commander, but they, <laughs> they, uh, they turned that one down. Uh, that was wise. That was probably that was wise, <laughs> yeah. But what I would say is that we have developed a much more nuanced understanding about how we can, how we need to work together and uh, come to decisions that respect our autonomy 
but allow us to work collectively. We have a little slogan we use for our last retreat. What was it? Uh, act independently and uh, work collectively. Something like that, you know, where the impulse to be totally autonomous has been tempered by the understanding that you won't get things done if you only work autonomously and without some sense of coordination and collaboration. And so we've come a very long way in our group to, in fact, develop mechanisms where we can talk frankly to each other, we can disagree strongly with each other, and yet come to a collective decision on how to move forward, short of, short of telling anyone how to vote. You, you talked about the future of this new model and that there may come a time when there are 105 independent senators. And it strikes me that if that were to come about and you're not making decisions based on which caucus you are or, or, or what party lines you draw from, it strikes me that 105 independent senators doesn't necessarily mean that you will be a hive mind, right? That there will be a different way in which you come to decisions. There will be, you know, a feminist caucus and a, um, a indigenous policy group. It seems very complex. I'm wondering in some, it, that sounds worth it, but is there a way that that kind of makes your job harder? Well, my just pretty tough as it is uh, with 58 <laughs> senators. Um, what I would say is that um, the the rules of the Senate currently allow for, a, uh, for the creation of groups, um, parliamentary groups, other than party caucuses, which will add to the complexity, if you will, of uh, the Senate and change the dynamic of decision-making. That has not happened so far, and all of the new appointments in 20, 2016 have joined the Independent Senate group. In part, I think, because we all recognize that the first job is to change the rules of the Senate to reduce partisanship. That has to be our first priority. I know there are members in my group. Well, it's self-evident. We, uh, we have members who are former conservatives, former Reform Party. We have former NDP members. We have feminists, as you say, and we have indigenous senators, and we have um, social democrats, and we have pro-business types. And there's sometimes the instinct to, um, to caucus, if you will, small c caucus, along these lines. But there's the, there's the bigger understanding, I believe, amongst our group, that we, we should not be trying to do that until we have changed the rules of the game to reduce the partisanship, to allow for equality of treatment among groups, to make sure that a small minority that's determined to act as a partisan group cannot disrupt the work of the Senate. Now, if we can get there, and I hope we get there soon, as I said, by changing the rules and the practices, then, in a sense, the door is open for uh, the establishment of other forms of collaboration, depending on the interests and preferences mm -hmm. of the members. The reality is that People are tribal, and they, they want to work with others uh, with whom they share common interests. That's a good thing. That's not a bad thing. And different tribes have different preferences around how they organize themselves and how they delegate leadership. Uh, the idea of a facilitator is unique to the independent senators group because we're in this transition phase 
to a less partisan Senate. But other independent senators group may have leaders, I don't know. And uh, we should not rule that out. You've been in the Senate since 2016. Um, the ISG has, has sort of grown in size and membership and uh, recognition since that time. In, in the recent history, is there a, either a legislative process or bill or achievement that you can point to that, um, made, that made you think, OK, this is working? Yeah, sure. There are numerous, all of the bills, I would say, Tools. Is there one thing that stands out to you? Sure, C45 yeah. is the one that uh, many people point to. It's the cannabis bill, of course. You know the controversy around the bill. Uh, it was um, a bill that the um, uh, leader of the Conservatives um, in the House had instructed his uh, Senate colleagues to defeat at all costs. That was the instruction given to them. Independent senators had to take that into account in terms of how we conducted ourselves in the review of the bill. Uh, we had to deal with um, uh, a number of deliberate attempts to kill the bill early on in the process. Mind you, some of my colleagues were against the bill as well, but we felt on principle it was our job to review it, to study it, and to take it to the end of the process before making the decision on how to vote. And so we really came together uh, in a way that I had not seen before when we understood that there was a, a kind of a small p political game being played and that we couldn't allow, allow ourselves to be played along with that, uh, that, that game. Uh, I think back, for example, to second reading vote. This is the vote when you send the bill to a committee for scrutiny where there was the deliberate attempt to, end, to stop the bill in its tracks at that stage. And uh, the fact that it was so transparent, I think, uh, opened the eyes of our members to the broader game that was being played and how we could not be naive uh, about it. And so we organized ourselves within the Independent Senators Group to have a parallel process of scrutiny and deliberation and research led by one senator whom we dubbed as the legislative lead. This person uh, organized special sessions, briefings, uh, small group discussions uh, on different controversial aspects of the bill and on amendments to the bill. We started working on amendments to the cannabis bill even as the committee was studying it in its own uh, normal process, if you will. And all of that led, I think, to a more um, informed process of actually proposing and adopting amendments when we came to clause by clause as well as in third reading and led to the proposal of uh, some 40 amendments or so to the bill uh, when, when, we came, when it was finally uh, voted on. That process of having a independent senator perform what we call the legislative lead function has continued, uh, particularly on controversial bills. We assign someone to play that role, uh, both as a fact finder and convener of uh, information gathering and discussion, but also, if you will, as a kind of tactician to understand that there may be efforts to thwart the bill 
and to delay and to obstruct, which uh, we do not stand. To go from where we were in 2014, sort of at the peak of the expense scandal and mm -hmm. the end of the Harper government, where the Supreme Court is reminding us, as you said, that it's uh, we're having open conversations about the, the either steep reforms where seven provinces and 50% of the population would need to, to mm -hmm. come aboard or mm -hmm. you need unanimity for, for abolition. To go yes. from where we are there to, to go from where we are now, um, clearly a lot of work has been done. Um, so, so two questions, and, and the answers may be different. What's the biggest barrier you see um, for the Senate in continuing its job in rebuilding trust with Canadians? And then um, what's the biggest barrier for the ISG um, in building trust with Canadians? These are tough questions. Um, <laughs> I think the biggest barrier, to be honest, is that most Canadians are not thinking about the Senate. Uh, you know, I'm sure you don't wake up in the morning wondering, wonder what, what's the Senate doing today, right? And, <laughs> How do I, I feel know, Shane, about the Senate? Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, Shane McKenzie's here. I think yeah, that maybe applies to you. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I'm, I'm, gla I'm glad to hear that. But uh, so the, in the first instance, I think the Senate has to do a bit of outreach uh, to inform the Canadian public about what has changed uh, and, uh, and why the changes have been positive. Now, there isn't a collective Senate view because we still have a partisan caucus in the Senate. And so really it has fallen to the ISG to make that case to Canadians about how things are different and uh, why we believe it's preferable to the old approach. Uh, with an election coming up, I think there is a very good opportunity to press the political leaders to articulate their views on the new Senate. If Mr. Scheer, and he has said that he wants to revert to the old system, that's a legitimate point of view. Perhaps a lot of Canadians support it. I suspect not, but let's put it to Canadians. Let's have that debate. Let's have Mr. Trudeau defend his decision, you know, to appoint independent senators, what's and all. Sometimes he regrets making this decision, I'm sure. <laughs> and let Mr. Singh uh, articulate the long-standing position of the NDP to abolish the Senate, and if he thinks the changes we've seen since 2016 have been an improvement. I think that kind of debate is, is extremely important, and my sense is that uh, the evidence is quite clear that uh, this Senate is not your grandfather's Senate. We are acting more independently. We are doing our best to improve bills, and we're doing it in a way that I think respects our role as a complementary chamber and uh, one that consists of unelected representatives. And once again, another round of applause for Senator Ian Powell. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Interact helps Canadians access their funds their way. Products like Interact Debit and Interact eTransfer have made money mobile, taking it from the confines of traditional banking and ushering it into the digital age. As consumers adapt to new technology, so does Interact. Learn more at newsroom.interact.ca.